Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a special conversation from the 48th New York Film Festival, featuring Ephraim Masili and Garrett Bradley. Garrett Bradley's Time, a main site selection, and Ephraim Masili's The Inheritance, the opening night film of the Currents program, were two of NYFF 58's most formally inventive and politically astute films. Combining original and archival material in evocative and unpredictable ways, they engage deeply with radical Black legacies of both cinema and political organizing. In this free talk moderated by writer and researcher Yasmina Price, the two directors chatted about their approaches to representing history, working against dominant narrative forms through a focus on the everyday textures of life, and the impulses of activism and education that course through their art. Ephraim Masili's The Diaspora Suite and The Inheritance are now playing in our virtual cinema, and Garrett Bradley's Academy Award-nominated Time is now playing on Amazon Prime. Let's continue to the talk, presented by HBO. I thought I would just start by saying how thrilled I am to speak to both of you. And to get the ball rolling, what struck me watching them alongside each other was the sense of historical time that they give. And Garrett, specifically in yours, something which is said first by Fox's mother and then picked up by Fox is the similarity between slavery and the carceral system and that that sense of an ongoing continuum of various forms globally um, that Black people have been oppressed and dispossessed, the knowledge that carcerality is ongoing, policing is ongoing, these are old problems that keep appearing. But the fact that alongside that there have also been ongoing refusals, ongoing insurgencies, liberation movements, revolutionary movements. And that's something that I think comes across very clearly in your film, Effie, I think all the more powerfully because it comes across with a sense of internationalism attached. And I think between both of your films, there's such a rich sense of time and such a generative sense of time where the past is with us, the the present is both urgently in front of us and also slipping away. The future is um, embedded in the past and also reactivated and dormant in different ways in the present. And I think that all of this emerges from the fact that you both have such fascinating, precise, rigorous, uh, and incredibly inventive archival practices. So I was hoping that we could start off with both of you speaking about that aspect of your work and in these two films, how the use of archival material makes certain things possible that might not have been otherwise. Um, And either one of you can start. I can just jump in first of all and saying thank you so much um, to both of you and to the festival and to everyone who's uh, who's watching today. I really appreciate it. I feel like you guys have done such an amazing job with all of the complexity of this year and I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I think I'll just, I mean, I'm happy to, I think in terms of like archive, what was particularly exciting I think about this film was, and I've worked in archive with other projects, um, but to be working with somebody who um, who created their own archive um, and to sort of be in collaboration and in conversation kind of in real time um, was was kind of expanding for me within my own within my own practice and in the ways in which we can further 
um, a lot of the ideas uh, and themes that are within the film itself. And so, you know, um, I really consider this as this kind of interesting collision of two different films. I mean, Fox, in my opinion, is a director, you know, she's a filmmaker. Um, she was building her own archives. She was she was radicalizing this idea of what American wholesomeness looks like, what the American dream looks like. She was um, dictating her own aesthetic and 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 on her own terms and in the way that she wanted to be presented. Um, and then I was kind of 19 years later without any knowing or knowledge of the archive while we were shooting the film, um, hoping to also extend this idea of what it means to make a contemporary archive of what it means to to document something as a means of counteracting what already exists and and uh and developing something for the future so i i guess i'm just saying like it's kind of like these two different modes of thinking within that context of archive that collide to make this like third film which feels like what time is maybe you know it's not just my one singular auteur vision you know it's it's kind of all of us I guess for me, well, first I want to also uh, second uh, that, yeah, I'm really excited to be here and uh, with Yasmina and Garrett and uh, appreciate Lincoln Center uh, offering the opportunity to do it. Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to get that out there off the bat. Um, you know, for, for me, I think there's always been this concern with how can I sort of, um, I'll just use the term Africanize my process in terms of how can I add things to the sort of Western theory of film cinema um, and do that through my own practice, like try out ideas. Um, had I not kind of gotten into film, I think that was kind of the route I was going, leaning toward like Africana studies or uh, black studies program somewhere. And one of the sort of things that I picked up on um, when I was kind of looking into that as a major and studying film at the same time, you know, at Temple University, there's a really strong Africana uh, studies uh, program. And you learn about this idea of the African worldview and you get introduced to ideas around um, this idea of like black aesthetics. Um, and, and one of the things even prior to that, from my time with Sunra, you start learning about time as this very subjective idea right there's like you know linear time in terms of seconds but then there's this also an idea of like layers of time that are happening simultaneously and how do you kind of give a visual language to that you know um the other thing um in terms of this idea related to time i think has to do um with with how we deal with ancestry and elders and people who are no longer with us you know in a sort of more westernized view right those people are just gone and they're somewhere else. Um, but in most other traditions, uh, those people in some form or another um, are still present and are with us and are guiding, so forth and so on. Um, and I think that that's a really important element when you start thinking about cinema and history, that it's not so much um, that when you invoke history that it's something even in the past at all, but that it's in the present. And even to put it in a contemporary film is almost, you know, literally to bring something present, you know, so it becomes present by you bringing it there, um, which I think for me relates to the idea of like the archive itself. Um, you know, it's similar with the idea of Western art and even the idea of an archive or museum at all, right? Someplace, a repository of, of important objects in art, whereas, and again, most traditional cultures, these things should still be circulating in a community. 
Um, and that's something that I, I take very seriously. And so for me, when I'm dealing with like something like an archive um, or thinking about how I'm using those materials, it's almost like I'm trying to bring, um, call forward that, that, that presence of uh, the ancestors or elders or people who just can't be present in another way. Um, and then, you know, for myself in terms of archive, I also think of myself as an archivist and it's like kind of like if I have like my like uh, soapbox politic, it's like everybody should have an archive of something, you know what I mean? And that, and that's what's so beautiful about, about the film Time, you know, there's this archive of, of personal footage that is incorporated into the piece and it's like, it was so refreshing to see how that stuff kind of gets incorporated without having to be I'm assuming filtered through five or six institutions and sitting on a shelf for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, how are we exchanging things and kind of almost resisting the idea of the archive by keeping everything uh, present. So much more like it's not the formal archive. It's, it's the home video version of, of the archive. And I think there's such an interesting way where you're, it's, it's like, you're also both collaborating with materials and and objects be it you know these actual tapes of home videos or i think what's so striking in your film effie is um how uh how the objects do so much of the work by themselves you know these records the the poster of la chinoise the books the the photographs um and i'm wondering if you could both speak to how how you build an environment you know when you have this sort of a collaborative strategy to the way you're you're making a film how, how you go about building a, a space which is both crossing time but is also uh both of your films are also very very local sure um i can sort of i well the easy answer i think in, in the case of, of my film is that um it was shot completely um at least all the interiors were shot on a, a film set you know um, which was a first uh, for me in terms of working on a set. And so kind of even going in, it was kind of, uh, my first impulse was, okay, I need to go back to the house that I used to live in and start recreating the look and feel of the space, you know, uh, down to the way the walls looked and all of that. And, and I found it totally distracting and kind of moving me away from anything that seemed actually um, important to the film. So. Uh, my shifting then went from, okay, I have a blank space. What ingredients can I kind of put into it that will instantly take me where I want to go um, in terms of the feel of the film? Um, and so for me, kind of thinking about, about the books and the posters and these text elements, uh, in a way it was refreshing because I wasn't approaching a space that was already filled with stuff. So every object became important and it became this almost like I was trying to build a sort of universe piece by piece. Um, I think by not having too much, by having actually nothing on the set and literally selecting every object, I was kind of able to layer it in a very sort of deliberate way to a point. And then after a while you then, or at least for myself, I turn the set over to the cast a little bit and see, okay, I've created this space, but how are they going to sort of activate the space? Or even sometime during a break, how someone from the crew might come on and put on a record and uh, listen to that record while they eat their lunch and then leave. Okay, well that record, you know, it's an Alice Coltrane record, say ends up in the front of the stack, kind of leaving space for them to kind of manipulate this sort of thing. So it's not this sort of heavy handed or always heavy handed uh, space, but that there's room for slippage and for things to come into it. But at the end of the day, 
I know that there's only so far they're going to be able to kind of bend and manipulate that that space. Um, and so for, for me, it then was just all about like really thinking specifically about each text, each book and saying, okay, this one is, is worthy of a close-up, et cetera. Um, because again, for me, to your point, um, you know, what they might call a cutaway in other forms of cinema, it's all important to me. It's like we're putting images out there, but I don't think any of them are unimportant. And so it's kind of like making sure that every frame, every image has something to add to the overall picture. Mm, yeah, I feel like I could just listen to you talk, man. I'm just like swimming, swimming in it. And it's, it's so beautiful. Um, I, I mean, it's funny to hear because I hear that from sort of a production standpoint, because I think a lot of the questions that were posed around archives with time were obviously came actually exclusively in post-production. So once we were editing, because I actually, I didn't know that the archive that Fox had any of this uh, while we were shooting. I didn't, she handed it to me like the last day of filming and was like, maybe this will be useful to you. <laughs> and it was like, so it was like a totally, you know, and I had this like really specific idea of like what I was shooting and how it was going to feel and be, and all of that really changed. Um, and all these new possibilities presented themselves. But I think what you're speaking to, even though it is maybe from a kind of production standpoint, I feel like I had a sort of mirrored experience, which was how to take the specificity and, um, and the details of things and have that speak to a broader, larger, even, you know, maybe, maybe not linear, but I'd say uniform experience. Like, um, so all of these things are adding up to, to these larger ideas. Um, and I think that part of the, you know, there, there were two different ways of looking at the archive, which was to say, okay, well, it's sort of, it's materially very different. It has a different texture. It has a different feel. Um, it was in color. Um, and there's also this, that's sort of the formal part of it. There were these incredible moments where Fox was putting the camera uh, right next to her desk while she was working a lot. Um, and when I was shooting, you know, presumably like 19 years later or so, give or take, the camera oftentimes was in exactly the same position in her office. And so there were these like kind of amazing, almost like spiritual formal connections that I think myself and Gabe, Gabe Rhodes who cut the film were really diving into and, and, and appeared to us most immediately. Um, but then of course there was the, the, the story and the narrative and like the emotional elements of how do we make connections between present day and the archive? Um, and so we kind of approached this sort of give and take between the two from, we were oscillating between both of those two different perspectives. Um, I tend to like dive right into the images, like how are the images speaking to each other and, and, and feeling very much that the images are what inform the emotion, they're what push the story, that we don't need um, anything uh, relatively, like that actually they're literal, you know, um, just as literal as like sort of, um, understanding, well, how do we get from point A to point B in this more traditional way? Um, and I think part of the challenge for me as a filmmaker was, was proving to myself that I could do both, you know? And I think a lot of that was, was in working with Gabe. I think, you know, and Effie, I don't know about your experience, but I think sometimes, you know, you get used to a certain kind of language and a certain kind of way of expressing yourself. And I think I, I really was like afraid to a certain extent that if I didn't just give into what my natural inclinations were which were making a lot of these more formal connections that I would somehow lose the spirit of what I was trying to do and I feel really lucky that 
I think we were tr able to kind of find that balance. And so much of it was, was because of the archive. It was because of the archive, really. Yeah, you know, just wanted to reply to that. There's something interesting uh, that happened with your project and mine as well, which is that I also didn't think of using archival footage until after I had finished my production, right? And yeah. so, you know, for my film, there's some footage with Move and then also with Shirley Chisholm. The Move footage, I thought there might come a point when I might need to go in and get a couple things for clarification. Uh, but the Shirley Chisholm footage actually was given to me sort of uh, on a pure coincidence. And I, I, I think maybe some of what I'm hearing and what you're saying, and I certainly feel like is the case for me, is that there were already so many formal decisions made prior to having access to the archive. So then it was kind of like, how can you get into a different register or balance things out? Or like you're saying, bring like a symmetry to the piece, um, which I think maybe works different uh, if you're a maker that's going in saying, well, this is how the archival part works. And then how do I kind of use something to enhance that, you know? Um, which also now I'm starting to think about your, your project in a different way. Uh, wow, that's really, yeah, interesting to hear. Yeah. yeah. Drawing from what you're both saying about um, this sort of this mixture of um, what the, what you hoped or, or what you thought your project would look like and these sort of interventions of happenstance and, and chance which open up these different sorts of possibilities. Um, I'd be curious because time is so obviously written sort of against mass incarceration in the US and then um, the inheritance is, is such a powerful testament to the endurance of sort of black liberatory revolutionary force and possibility. I'd be interested if you could both share with us what, what sort of intervention you have in mind for your films. Um, because obviously there's, there's, there's political work that art does, which is not accounted for in, in other ways. Um, and, and the life of films like this, you know, it's, it's obviously within festivals, it's the people who review it, but it, it has this far broader, more unpredictable life outside of that. And when, so when you consider what your intention with these films is how, how do you hope that they they work and they circulate and they they sit with people um well i can say i mean i i feel like that question is where i start you know um with the work and because so much of what we do as filmmakers is is about collaboration it's about working with people it's about communication um that always is kind of my first question with the people that I'm working with, you know, and I talked about that a lot with Fox and her sons and Rob. Um, why are we, why do we want to do this together? Why do you want, you know, why is it, I mean, most people don't want someone with a camera with them all the time, you know, like it's sort of a mortifying idea. So what is the purpose and the intention behind this and what Fox and the family had really expressed to me and what really resonated with me as well, which is that the, the specificity of our story is one that is, that affects, 2.3 million people if not double triple that number and so how can we share our story as a way of expanding that conversation and I think for me um, I was also really invested in this idea I continue to be invested in this idea that incarceration in America part of its power and its weaponry is its invisibility is its 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 inability to be seen if you think about Angola which is the prison that uh, Robert was incarcerated in for 21 years, it's 18,000 acres. Um, 
So even with a drone, which we had to like go all the way to Mississippi, bring the drone across the Mississippi River, we could only get a fraction of how much space um, this prison actually took up. And obviously, as many people know, it's very difficult to get cameras into prisons. It's very difficult to document and to see this chronic problem. And so, and that's also what allows it to sustain. So, so much of the, the power and I think the intention and hope also was to say, well, how do we show, how do we say that the effects of these things, of these numbers are just as important? And how can we think about the family structure and the, fa the family perspective as a way to further this conversation? Um, and I think that was that was our collective intention, and that is that's what's maintained from from its inception all the way through. Hopefully, the way in which it it can move through the world. Yeah, um, you know, it's a tricky question for me in that I um, have a background in more experimental film, where you generally are not thinking like you know, how do I want to bring this thing to like a big audience? Because as we all know, there isn't going to be one regardless. And so it's kind of like, what are you trying to communicate, get across and what's going to make this work um, as strong as possible? These sort of very subjective questions. But, uh, but with this film, it was very different for me in that it was scripted and written. And I really was thinking just about um, not so much telling my story in conventional cinema language, but the conventional idea of telling a story, like how do I tell stories and what does my storytelling look like? Um, and that was a big concern uh, for me in that I wasn't so much saying, you know, I want certain people to see this film in a certain kind of way, uh, but that it's more of a question of, well, we all watch movies and we know how, you know, certain kinds of documentary or narrative play out um, and, for myself, my biggest concern with making a piece like this and my challenge to myself is like, can I create a more um, intersectional audience for myself and for the ideas? So can people who are interested in French New Wave cinema suddenly become interested in MOVE? And can people who are interested in MOVE suddenly become interested in Tarkovsky, so forth and so on? Um, and is there some sort of dialogue that can come out of that? Um, and the same is true uh, within the space. Um, you know, um, the collective of people that live within the space that I've created in my film represent a very wide section of the diaspora. They're not all African-American people. You know, they're people from all, all different parts of the diaspora. And that's yet another sort of intersection that, that, that is interesting to me um, in terms of kind of breaking the conversation out of uh, the specificity of African-American uh, related issues, because truth be told, they're the same issues that are all over South America and Africa and the Middle East and everywhere else. Um, but, you know, so how can we take what we know of our experience and kind of relate that to, to wider contexts? Um, and so those were kind of some of the concerns. But ultimately, I think for me, it was about kind of trying to use the film to bridge different sort of communities politically but also in the in the film world it just gets so sort of uh you know separated like this person's documentary or this person's narrative or this person's avant-garde and so forth and that i feel like there's so much room for us to all be talking with each other around it and so for me it was like kind of like well what can i do to foster that situation and that's kind of where the sort of hybrid nature or you're really wanting to work on uh the, the, the narrative element um, kind of came about. Um, but in terms of um, where I want it to go, it's more of like, 
for me, just something you kind of toss out there and it's pure curiosity. You hope it goes far and wide, but I don't know that I had any specific intentions when I made it. And to be totally honest, so far, it's already starting to like exceed my intentions. And so it's kind of like, we'll see what happens. But, um, but the idea was that it would kind of hopefully start to put different groups of people together. I feel like we've been doing a pretty good yeah. job at finding our camps of late, which is fantastic. The next step is, okay, where are we going to have these real coalitions, not slogan-based coalitions, but actual mm -hmm. coalitions? I feel like, sorry, I just wanted to say really quickly, just ripping off of what you just said, like, I also think sometimes that the intention, I mean, I, I would say with other works of mine too, like, and, and just hear, hearing you talk through that, that the intention also changes sometimes when it goes out into the world because people respond to it and people ask questions and those questions uh, reveal kind of what's needed or what's already thought or assumed. And it gives, I think, filmmakers and, and people who are participants in the film uh, a great opportunity then to re-steer things and to respond in kind of a direct way. So I feel like in many ways, as you're saying too, it's like these films are, are, are also prompts for people to uh, just swim in their own ideas and then have, you know, we're not just playing ping pong. You've got something then that allows people to speak on what they think, you know, that we can then all of a sudden see what people think and respond to it, you know, uh, in ways that we can't always predict. And so the narrative and the intention then changes and is in response to, it's like a living organism to the way people are, are receiving it. Totally. Well said. Yeah. I feel like it's this thing where it's like, all right, this is what's on my mind. I'm going to make this film. I'm going to put it out there. And then people respond and you find out kind of what's on their mind. And then hopefully yeah. make another film yeah. or something comes later. No, absolutely. Beautifully said. Yeah. Something that's striking me as well hearing you both speak about that is the fact that for both of you at, at different stages, being educators has gone alongside with your filmmaking. Um, and, and so do you feel like there, there is this sort of imperative to, to learn and teach, but um, probably more than anything to sort of share knowledge laterally? Has that informed what has become your filmmaking process? Because I'm not too clear. I think for, for you, Garrett, being an educator maybe preceded it, or was it synchronous the entire time? Yeah, it was always, it was always happening simultaneously. Um, and and I, I don't really see the two as being um, kind of separate. Like, I think I'm, I'm naturally, I, I want to be with people. I really, I'm my most happy when I'm working with people to make something and to contribute something. Um, and I think that films are donations, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent to our world. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I've always thought about it. And I think, um, I think working with students, working with young people to support them, to build their confidence, to build them to be confident enough to be curious and to ask questions and to take chances and to be messy. Um, those are things that I myself have to continue to do as a filmmaker and as a human being. Um, and it's also how I work with my crew and how I work with, uh, with anybody. So they kind of are exactly the same language to a certain extent. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I agree. I mean, I think for, for me as an educator, um, you know, I, I always try to avoid, you know, I mean, it's also as an educator, I'm an artist, I'm teaching film production, so I'm not in a situation where there are definitive 
right and wrongs or do's and don'ts in terms of uh, how that world operates. And so it, it's much more about the sort of questions that you ask and where those, you know, the pursuit of the answer leads you. And that's something that I'm always kind of trying to um, instill in my students. It's not so much that, you know, no one really cares to see the film about everything you already know. You know what I mean? That's probably going to be pretty boring. Uh, but the film about things that you're thinking about, the questions you have, um, well, that can be interesting. And so as a maker, I'm always kind of, again, kind of trying to leave the work at the level of, I'm thinking about these five or six things all at once, and I'm using the film as a way to kind of uh, condense it and, and look at it. Um, as far as it relates to being an educator, I think this is also something that is um, happening in, in the classroom. And so I, I find that, you know, if I'm giving a lecture and I say, this film was made on, you know, for these three months on this day, and we're going to have a quiz and I want to know the day that the filmmaker had their breakdown and cried and thought they were going to quit, right? That's not interesting, but it's more about um, the sort of questions that, that come up. And so when I'm making the work, um, I'm not so much thinking about it in terms of I'm educating an audience, but that, again, it's hopefully provoking them almost to, to ask themselves certain questions, like, who is that person and why didn't he say who they were? Even that's a valid and good question, you know? So maybe that, if nothing else, makes the person watch the film again or rewind it back and pause and do some homework. And so it's more about these sort of kind of trying to lead people in a sense down a, a rabbit hole uh, than saying, by the time you get to this film, you'll know X, Y, and Z. Um, the other thing about that as an educator um, for me is that my crew, well, I was shooting the film as a commission. And so I had to use um, a lot of people that already worked at the, the space that I was shooting in MPAC in Troy, New York. They have a wonderful crew, but I was able to bring in a few people of my own and I did all the casting and I very intentionally cast um, young people, um, uh, young women specifically uh, in the roles of, you know, assistant director and any PA work. And the same with the cast. I literally brought my students into the process as many young students of color uh, that had the right skill set as I could, um, because that's where the education does get real. It's like I'm not going to get in front of a classroom and say, this is how you make a movie. But for some of my more, you know, um, the students that I fit the project and we were already working close together, it was like, well, tell you what, why don't you just come make a movie with me? And that's how it starts to work. And then, you know, I saw a couple of my students or one of my students and one of the PAs uh, who was also a student um, just the other day at the screening. And now they are going out to shoot a film together, kind of, um, and in some ways influenced by their experience of what, what we had done. And so, again, kind of going back to my original statement about a sort of more African worldview, I try to also bring that into the classroom where it's not this transactional, you have access to me for four hours a week and I'll grade your papers, but that it's a responsibility that I have to kind of uh, help the next generation of filmmakers get where they're going, but trying to do that in a, in a real sense of uh, bringing them into my process as opposed to keeping it strictly um, in the classroom. And, um, and so, you know, that's, and I'm also, you know, any, any, I think, great teacher or good teacher or even reasonably good teacher will tell you that your learning is much from your students um, as you're teaching, right? And so uh, being able to have that come into my practice is also something that is a very welcome. It's not like a, a burden of a responsibility, but it's also a wonderful um, opportunity. So that, that part's very much like a, a sort of very fluid situation in a two-way street. That idea of, of 
bringing as many people into the process. I think going with what you were saying, Garrett, earlier about Fox sort of being a co-director with you, I think that also goes to the heart of um, what uh, has been an intervention in, you know, especially Black independent cinema, where it's not just the, the film object that's different, it's the conditions of production that are different, that are more collaborative, that are not invested in, like you were saying earlier, this sort of auteurist view, which I think is where um, your film becomes this really lovely antidote to different things in Godard's La Chinoise, but I think among them is this idea of a sort of singular view um, and instead offering something so much more multiplicitous. And that also reminds me of another um, point of intersection between your two films is that they're both so attentive to just the mundane everyday. Uh, I mean, I think in, in time it's, it's this um, almost heartbreaking intimacy of the exhaustion of having to ask the same questions, again, going through the same bureaucratic process again and again and again. And then in The Inheritance, uh, this sort of uh, the, the also sort of intimate scale of what it takes for people to live collectively and live differently for, for big ideals, but also for something as minor as we are a shoeless house. Uh, and I wonder how, how intentional was, was that choice to, um, to stick with the everyday as opposed to, I think, what will tend to be the more dominant narratives of here are the spectacular set of events that sort of allied all the little in-between moments. Oh, I just wanted to just, just a second um, that in watching um, Time, that for me, that was the element that really stood out and was so refreshing to see. And I'm glad you brought up this idea of more dominant forms. Um, I loved Time because of that, you know, and, and, and the sort of um, pain and suffering. It's not this in-your-face intense thing, nor is it, you know, um, let's zoom out to national headlines, but you just kind of have to, to, to sit with this and find that, that visual language, uh, particularly in the middle where it, it, it almost um, becomes very slow. And there's a moment when like, I think she's on the phone and she's waiting and I forget what she even called for. And it's like, right, that feeling of just like, you just kind of get caught in these loops. And uh, I thought that that was really, really, really touching. And there are so many, I could, go on for the rest of the talk about moments like that in, in time. Um, and I won't, but what I will say is that, um, how do I say this without sounding whatever, whatever, I'll just say what I have to say. When I watch time, I very much get the feeling that it's a film made by a woman um, and that it's focused um, in ways that are, are much more intimate and not at all concerned with this massive dominant structure it, it, there's room for the intimacy of the, the individual experience um of the subjects and that's enough and the fact that they're getting by and that she's holding it together is enough you know i think when you start to play into the dominant modes of tuple survival suddenly isn't even that interesting it's not a, you know it's not interesting that the people just get through to the end right they have to you know the, the sort of dominant mode wants the the demon to be vanquished by the end and it's all said and done like that's not what's happening um, and, and time and I love the scene the very intimate scene I don't know if people watching haven't seen it so I don't want to say anything but uh, at the end there's a for me a very surprising intimate scene I thought this is like maybe one of the most beautiful intimate scenes I've seen in in any movie and for myself in my film I was very much thinking um 
at first I had kind of written the script in a more conventional way and these kind of bigger activities. And I've really been trying to challenge myself in a lot of ways to think a lot less like a man in that way and that it has to be this, this thing. And what happens when we actually focus on, you know, the mundane things, the day to day, because in actuality, that is the, the, the real work, you know, when I study um, the movements of the past, you know, like just to use the Panthers as an example, um, we talk a lot about their tactics not being sustainable. But when you talk to the women involved, it's also, well, yeah, but, you know, the domestic situation wasn't sustainable, there wasn't equal value placed on certain types of labor. And so as I'm kind of trying to make work, or generate a discussion that's how can we move this forward. Um, domestic labor is actually a really key um, ingredient in all of that and how are we relating in much more intimate ways and then how that spills out into the big picture. But again, I think the dominant cinema wants it to be, well, you get your guns and you go out and you start some sort of revolution and that's all good and well. But at the same time, it's like, if we're not able to love each other and be around each other, then what's it going to come to? Um, but I think it's often hard to get films made when they're about these things. And again, for me, when I was watching Time, it was just like, wow, how does this even exist without having to uh, yield to these dominant modes where you have to have the other person's opinion and all this other stuff that didn't really matter in terms of that, that narrative. Um, and so I think there's a radical politics of resisting kind of doing um, these big, huge gestures that are emotionally rewarding in the Sherman movie, but in the end, don't leave us a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also like, thank you for that, by the way. I really, I really appreciate those, those words. And I think, um, I mean, all the big things are made up of the small things, you know what I mean? Like, so I think, think that there's, you know, the details, um, the details are important for us to understand some of the more dramatic, larger moments. But I think I'm also really trying i mean i'm interested in like and i feel like you're also working through this which is like how do we actually think about cinema as a true mimicking of of um of, of the real world and our true experiences and i think from the beginning of cinema that has been its attempt that is it's fundamentally what we're trying to do is understand ourselves you know um and I think that part of the challenge, and it's something that I they think I've been trying to work through on many projects, is this idea of simultaneity, which is what we actually live in. We live in simultaneous action. We there are forest fires happening, there are, there are protests happening, there's the government, there's there's global warming. All of this is happening all at the same time. There's incarceration, and but I'm in a McDonald's parking lot right now, right? And so I understand. All of us understand these larger things that are happening that infiltrate the small details of every action that we have. And I think working in cinema, working in a two-dimensional space where you are brought with the challenge of showing that one frame at a time, one image at a time, when that isn't how we experience life. Um, that's what I'm trying to work through, you know? Um, and so I think that um, the big and the small, you know, the big kind of is always in the background in some kind of way while all the small is happening, you know? And you've essentially flipped that power structure by putting the everyday front and center as opposed to, to the opposite. Um, I definitely want to make space in case either of you want to ask each other any particular questions. And if not, uh, we can move over to audience questions or I can give you the first one and 
you can think about if you have questions for each other, if that sounds good. And I see, I just, I want to hang out with you. I just feel like we should just hang uh, out. I don't, I don't, I don't have uh, any formal questions right now. Yes, no, let's do it. Yeah, we'll end up hijacking the rest of the, the thing. If <laughs> Absolutely, let, let's do it. Yeah. We saw it fucking lot sometime. First question we have, which I think is addressed to both of you, is curious about your thoughts about the unreliable, in quotes, archive. Uh, related to the unreliable narrator as a positive force, as a way to suggest an open-ended dialogue with material you discover, you find, etc. Whoa. Um, I'll just say really quickly, I mean, I think unreliable is, is I translate it more as like fixed. Uh, so when, when you're working with archive in my experience part of the exciting challenge has been to try to find the nuance and the multiplicity and the, all the all the dimensions and all the different versions of truth that exist in what appears to be uh, a fixed um unmalleable uh source that has been shot by somebody else and um I mean, with another project I was working on with America for instance and looking at the 19 uh 13 film with Burt Williams, um, that was footage that was never um, fully realized or compiled. Um, and I remember working on that, you know, when Obama was president, and then I started finishing it when Trump was president. And even though Burt is in blackface, there were so many um, things that were important about this footage, which was that Burt had had a lot of power um, in in making sure that those around him were not wearing blackface, uh, in his ability to give direction. It was, it's what they think to be, the moment thinks to be the very first um, black film with an integrated cast, right? So there were white producers, there were black people and white people working together several years after Plessy versus Ferguson. And so on first thought, you might look at the image and say, this is problematic. But there was so much um, nuance to what Bert was able to do from both the political um, standpoint as a performer and as a director and sort of an authority on that set and so what how do you show that when you can't you literally you can't you have to show it with what you have you know um, and in my experience I don't know if there's like one way of doing it I think so much of it is you know with that film I literally ended up going through it frame by frame just putting a little arrow button and finding finding these moments that are harder to discern at 17 frames a second that were telling the story and, and showing the truth that I saw in that, you know? And another really quick example I'll give without taking up too much time is like also working through, I was working on a show that was um, focused on um, Amadou Diallo and, and trying to talk through, um, you know, the sort of militarization of the police under Giuliani um, in New York. And one of the editors, uh, you know, kept showing footage of people that were being arrested, of perpetrators, and for me, it was like, no, we're, we're actually, I understand the inclination, which is to go into the source material of the way in which the news was covering it at that moment. But to simply show the way the news was covering it is to then perpetuate and reinforce the same problems that, that they were doing in the 90s and the 80s and continue to do in the news. So why don't we look at the police? Why don't we actually keep our focus on the people that we're talking about and not those that, they, that the police themselves were focused on, if that makes sense. So that's another way of trying to flip the narrative, flip the perspective. Um, and so I hope that answers your question. 
Evie, you may be able to answer it in a more concise way. Uh, I don't know that I have a lot to say about that one um, in that it's, for me, all unreliable and all untrustworthy. Um, and I'll just say, you know, Kuleshev effect, you know, and so it's, it's, it's all propaganda and manipulation. So it's just about what you're doing with, with, with any given image and what becomes, uh, what comes before and after um, what you're doing with the audio. Um, and so anytime I think you get caught up in thinking you're looking at some sort of objective truth in an image, I think you're already fighting an uphill a battle. And so uh, for, for, for me, I would say, by all means, question every image that I put at you and also question everyone else's um, because it, it, it's totally um, um, unreliable in a certain kind of context in terms of how you're defining the truth. Um, I would argue that I am going to the, say, archive uh, with a truth already in mind that I'm looking for evidence to support that. I'm not going in like a lab scientist saying, I'm going to stay out and I'm going to inspect all of these images. And at the end, I'm going to decide whether someone did something right or wrong. So I'm going and saying, this is the film that I'm making. These are the people that I am interested in. And I'm taking what I want to make my argument. Um, and I think anyone who tells you that's not what they're doing, that's unreliable. I'm, saying, I'm telling you right now, that's the only truth there is. Beyond that, it's like, I don't, you know, you know, if someone uses, I'll just say, like a PBS approach to an image, is it more truthful or less truthful or more or less reliable? I'd say, of course not. In fact, it's probably a lot less truthful because it's usually trying to convince you that it is the truth. Um, and so I don't I don't really uh, trust anything in that regard. And it's all um, up for debate, which is why you got to watch the whole movie. Right. And then you when it's all said and done, you say, OK, well, you know, this is what I think of this situation. Um, but it's all in context. So. Yeah, just because it's from a certain year and in black and white or in color or shot with a surveillance camera, what have you, uh, that doesn't necessarily equate to any more truth or reliability. No images are neutral, ultimately. And the most we can hope for is transparency about the power structures or the intentions that are informing how a certain image is being presented. Um, so our second question from the audience, from Uma Amadou, is I want to ask a question about the notion of character in both time and the inheritance. Fox Rich is an enigmatic and there's a level of performance to her own camera and Bradley's camera. In Asili's film, I'm thinking of the scene of the Ubuntu members listening to the members of MOVE. Ivy, do you want to speak to that first? Uh, sure. You know, from the from the outset, I guess with with with, with my piece, if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, it was. I kind of try to get myself in these sort of like conundrums that I can't get out of, and I just kind of keep taking stabs at it. And so, for me, the question was, how can my, um, I'll say, subjects be fully fictional characters and at the same time be very, very real, you know? Um, and so the idea of blending um, real life and fiction is sort of a more obvious way uh, of doing that. We have people who are acting and people who are not acting. Um, but, you know, everything that's happening in my film is in a way also happening for real. And so I had workshopped my film with my actors. We were trying out different things for about a for a year, like a year prior to actually shooting. And I, we learned, or they learned a lot about MOVE, those who didn't know, um, but none of them had actually met MOVE people. When you're watching my film and you're seeing that scene with MOVE, um, all of that interaction is more or less, um, you know, I'll say authentic in the sense that these people, my actors had never interacted with MOVE people. And just like most people, they had their 
expectations on what they were hearing in the media. And so what you're actually getting from that, those scenes um, uh, with MOVE is, is a very real thing, even though you have people who are professionally acting, uh, you also have these people telling a real story. And I don't think that, you know, the camera can hide all of the sort of ways that that's really actually penetrating into the, the, the psyche of the, the actor uh, character and the real life person. But for me, that that's like the heart of the matter with the whole film. It's like, when are they just like, just acting and when are they being real and so forth and so on. And so for me, that was kind of like a stew that I kind of tried to create and leave it there. Um, and again, the move parts are very real. Nothing they're saying there is not true. But I do think the fact that it's happening in the context of a narrative film helps to think of it as a narrative through line as opposed to just this horrific thing. And I think that's a great way to segue to, to, to time and that I feel like it's could easily read as a, a narrative film in terms of the arc and everything else. Um, but nonetheless, we're talking very real stuff. And so, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, just focusing in on, on the word performance, um, I think that part of, part of the challenge when I was shooting was knowing that 19 years into Robert's incarceration, um, Fox and the family had certainly built uh, a certain armor around themselves um, and, um, and had, and that that armor was representative of the sort of requirement of presentation that parole boards uh, put on, on families um, over the course of time of this sort of this idea of, of having to be exceptional um, in order to receive justice or, or, or fairness um, or any, or what you want. Um, and I think that it was important for me to make sure that the film not only showed that, but showed why it was necessary and why, so that it wasn't a, it wasn't a criticism, it was understood as a necessity. Um, and that we also understood that, um, that part of the, the, part of what's so incredible is that Fox and the family had managed to do that while also maintaining their individuality and maintaining their sense of selves within that. And I think that the archive helped show that arc um, as, as particularly for Sybil, you know, where we go from seeing Sybil to seeing Fox and understanding that there is uh, sort of an internal, uh, both an internal and public revolution that happens within her uh, and, and, and then secondarily through the family um, that she has, you know, she was, she was a, she's a free spirit. Um, and she was sort of this like wild young girl and she, she still is very much the person, you know, as, as, an, as an adult that we meet. Um, but I think it was harder to understand that and to see that without the archive. And so I think presentation and performance um, are a crucial part of understanding um, the, both, uh, a, well, I think that it, it's both oppression and it's resistance all in one, you know, um, the oppressive nature of having to present oneself and then choosing how one is going to present themselves within that as a form of resistance, I think are, are kind of key parts of, of the film. Not only the film, but just the reality of the world. And, it, and it's sort of incredible how, um, you know, the, the first uh, sort of self-documentation agency that she has in filming herself also then blooms out to just the way that she transforms from, um, you know, this, this very young woman to this absolute militant 
force, like the, those scenes where she's speaking to a crowd are astonishing. And I think both of your films sort of articulate, you know, a process of, of raising consciousness in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the next question is also related to, to Fox um, and for you, Garrett. Um, do you have any update on Fox and her family today? You really convey the strength of Fox and her sons. Yeah, we talk to each other several times a week. And um, I think it's, it's just been so, Remington just graduated from dentistry school. Um, Freedom's graduating early from college and Justice just got back from Korea where he was for the most part of, of COVID actually. Um, everyone is, is thriving and doing really well. And it's been, it's been really fun to work together in helping to release the film too. And just sort of talking through that and finding creative ways to, as we were talking about earlier, build a conversation and, um, and uh, not only build the conversation, but to, to work actively in how we want to respond to it and shape it. So, yeah, everyone's been doing great, and I'm and um, we're really excited to bring it out into the world together. So, yeah. The next question from Christopher Harris for Effie, um, which is I guess delving more into the the fiction artifice fact documentation um, of of your film uh, and and how the two interface. Mm, repeat the question. The, what's the relationship between fiction, artifice, and fact documentation in your film? Right, absolutely. In some ways, that relates to what I was saying um, earlier in that, you know, um, I mean, I think I translate as a very serious person most of the time, uh, but I also have this element uh, of the sort of trickster in me that I can't help myself, especially when it comes to cinema. Um, and so there are things that I'm pointing you there's even misdirection oftentimes. And again, I think for me, it's this whole idea of always questioning everything and being um, aware of the fact that you're being taken for a ride. And so for me, uh, it's really important that my film be thought of as a, a narrative fiction first, because I'm taking so many liberties with things, um, but that, you know, when uh, the truth is presented to you, you have to be discerning in terms of that's that's the real thing just like in real life you know a lot of people are um, full of it and they pretend to be all sorts of things and you have to kind of sift through that to find the the, the truth of the situation um another element with me in terms of narrative that's kind of a, a, a longer arc of my career is that i got to a point um where i didn't feel as though i was comfortable pursuing certain issues through other people's real lives uh, there are certain psychological things, things about the psyche that I really wanted to deal with that I felt as though I needed to work with people who are totally comfortable getting into that emotional space in a performative sense and working it out along with the politics, as opposed to kind of looking for the external circumstances and trying to probe into that. And so I, that's, that's a lot of it, kind of bringing a lot of my sort of um, politics and objective observations to uh, other types of subjectivity. Um, which again, when I watch a film like Time, I'm always curious, like, wow, that seems to do all of that, but the rapport with the subject is there in a way that feels very organic and lively. But anyone who's been in film long enough, you know, you can't always have that. And so for me, it was like, oh man, can I find other ways that I can kind of get into these things without having to look for the right person, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I can't help but to, to be playful and say, you know, 
uh, you know, someone says one thing, I just want to have the opposite thrown in there uh, just to keep people uh, on their toes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, do, do the fact check. And I think that's what's so wonderful about your film is that it is so irreverent and so joyful and so vibrantly colorful and electric. Um, and I think both of yours uh, in, in the sort of anti-monolithic work. Um, so Effie, you know, the, the, the speaking about joy and liberation and, and move and this difficult, violent history, but also having these joyful little explosions. And I think, Garrett, your film, um, as, as horrific as the topic is, the fact that you still manage to capture those moments of, of tenderness and, and of love and of that extraordinary ending that Effie alluded to. Um, and we are just about out of time. And it's been such a joy to speak to both of you. Um, oh, I think we might have lost Garrett. <laughs> but thank you both uh, for, for being here. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.